Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. How are you, Jeff? Yeah, we're really good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Um, I was just explaining to David how we sort of got hooked up by Ian from On Vogue. Yeah, I know, that was... uh... That was pretty crazy, actually. I ended up uh, getting a, a message, but um, Ian has has yet to even kind of talk to me about you guys. So this is this is very on the spot. And yeah. At the same time, it was from another nurse practitioner, fellow colleague uh, who follows me and and says they're looking forward to to my chat with you guys. I was like, okay, let's. Like, me too. I'm excited. <laughs> well, we basically had about <laughs> four days. Yeah, we, we've organized this in about four <laughs> days. So thank you so much for being flexible. Uh, yeah, how, how was your uh, wedding that pleasure. you went to? Any any fights? Any good stories? It was good. It was a Jewish wedding. So my first Jewish hey. wedding. Oh, amazing. there you go. Uh, yeah, we're part of the good. tribe. Awesome you, you, you'll, you'll always remember your first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It was lots of fun. Very awesome. Good. So, David, chapter nine of the Injector Diaries. I, I can't believe it's been nine already. I know. It's just like, it seems like only yesterday we just spoke about the concept and now we're like nine deep. It's just, where did the time go? And today's a very special day we've, well, for two reasons. We've got a first Canadian. No, and no, no. Yeah. The first one was Gene Carruthers. <laughs> No, not on, well, oh. not on injected arms. Oh, but right, yeah, right, you're right. right. That's true. We did have oh, the go. queen of Botox herself. <laughs> All right. I forgot, Gene. Sorry about that, Gene. If you're listening, I'm sure you're not. And our first male nurse. That is special. We've got our first male nurse. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. So representing um, the boys. <laughs> I'm always seeming to be the guy to represent the boys. I think in uh, every course I've taken, there's only either one other guy or myself in there. And it was always really interesting. For some reason, the professors were like, I, was, I would like to know Dan's take on this. I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> now, not to understate yeah. yourself, you're actually a nurse practitioner, not a registered nurse. Is that, is that correct? And what is the difference in That's Canada? So, um, so basically in Canada, you have kind of like three stages of nursing. So you can do uh, an RPN, which is two-year college program. And then you can do your RN, which is a four-year uh, university program. And then after that, um, after some experience, then uh, you can apply and do a master's combined advance. It's called an extended program as a registered nurse, which is essentially the same thing as a nurse practitioner. And uh, basically, it's it's a way for the nurse practitioner uh, a nurse to work independently. So before I was in medical aesthetics, I was I actually had a, a, a private practice or uh, my own practice at. Uh, University of Ottawa Health Services, and um, and yeah, and it was you know I had it was my practice, and at the same time uh, I was doing infectious disease, and basically uh, we could basically order, prescribe, diagnose, treat ninety nine point nine percent of what a general physician would be able to do. Wow. Sounds pretty similar to Australia. Yeah. 
So, bef- yeah, I guess cool. before before we get sort of too into the into the detail of your practice and what's been happening, do you want to just give our listeners just a little bit of a background about who you are? Obviously, we've just had a little bit of a chat around you. You're a nurse practitioner, but you know, what was your life like before that? What sort of motivated you to get into aesthetics? And just give us a bit of a general flavor. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I don't want to make it too long, but um, before going into medical aesthetics, I, like I said, I was in family medicine with an infectious disease background. But when I was in that, my infectious disease focus was HIV, Hep C, Hep B, and some fatty liver. And we were the first clinic actually to develop a Hep C clinic outside of the hospital for treatments for Hep C clients in, in North America. And um, I, I was the guy who was going to run it. And uh, I said, okay, well, if I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to have to kind of like, you know, make sure the physicians uh, in the community are going to refer patients to me. So in that sense, I'm going to have to make sure I know what I'm doing. You can't just take a program and, you know, study about this and people are going to send it to this. So uh, what I did was uh, I ended up going down to uh, the States. There was a bunch of programs. It's called ASLD. And then we did EASL. And these are all, you know, big name subspecialty infectious disease doctors and gastroenterologists go to these conferences. And I, I said, I need to go because I need to make sure that I can bang, the, you know, and have real conversations with these, uh, with these top docs. And, uh, so that's what I did. I ended up going around. I did that for a few years and I went to every conference possible and I came back and I was just giving it, you know, I went to every, uh, family health team in the community and, and gave presentations on that to get patients to, to refer to us. And, and I've also partnered with an infectious disease doctor here in Ottawa. And, um, uh, so when I did that, that was my focus. And I knew that, um, the, it was something I did and I was happy to do that, but it wasn't really my passion. Um, you know, my, I do have an art background. Uh, you know, my mother's an artist, uh, painter, my sister is, uh, graphic design artists, we're all artists in the family. And, you know, for me, it's, I've always been um, in the art field and it's been something of a passion of mine to kind of like get into. And I also wanted to have my own business. And um, that was this infectious disease route was a good route for me, but it wasn't my passion. So eventually what happened was um, I ended up getting into medical aesthetics. I was dabbling into it as a side and Ottawa uh, was kind of slow in the field of medical sex. Like it, it was here, but it wasn't crazy. It wasn't busy. It wasn't like, you know, I'm not sure how it is in Australia, but Toronto, there's a few big cities here in Canada that Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, like they're, they're getting pretty big, but they only started getting big. I think in the last five to 10, maybe five, seven years mm-hmm. in Ottawa, it was just starting like, you know, three to five years ago, maybe. And, um, so I was dabbling into it, but, um, mostly self-studying. And then I was shadowing like a couple of colleagues who I asked to shadow with and they said, yeah, you know, it's not that busy. I've got a couple of nurses with me. I don't really have time. And, um, the other downside for me at that time was whenever I was working, uh, at that other clinic, I had another physician working with me. I could work independently, but I'd have to be uh, tied to another physician. And I thought that's how I would have to roll if I ended up going into this field of medical aesthetics. And I thought, you know, do I want to do that? You know, I wasn't sure. And then I found out one of my students, I was, uh, you know, as a nurse practitioner, I, I had students and one of them said, oh, I'm taking this course right now in, in medical aesthetics because it's private. You could be your own medical director. And then that's whenever everything opened up for me. I knew right away I was going to do exactly what I did with the uh, field of, med- of infectious disease. I'm like, I'm just going to take all these crazy courses and I just need to make sure that if I came and, um, you know, started performing here in Ottawa, 
that uh, I would have, you know, a good sense of, you know, medical aesthetics, anatomy, all these courses that, that run under my belt. Um, but I took it to the next level. And uh, the reason why I took it to the next level is because in that transition, I also was playing really competitive squash, right. which sounds insane. But uh, the squash league was, I wanted to be the top squash player in Ottawa. So I took lessons for three years straight and dedicated my life to squash. And not only was practice involved, but I was on the court like eight times a week in seven days. Like it was nuts. And uh, not only that, I had to like, because I wasn't getting to the level I was, I wanted to, I ended up taking um, these, I ended up learning, I dove into sports psychology and that took me to the next level. So in the end, I got to where I wanted to go with squash, but it was through a lot of self-learning, things that I wasn't expecting. It wasn't just, you know, taking lessons. I had to kind of find my own way. And I brought that into medical aesthetics. Yes, I was taking these courses, but a lot of it was self-learning. It was like literally just going to PubMed and like learning about anatomy and learning about how the SMAS works, like superficial and deep fat and muscles on the face and arteries where they land and, you know, levels on the face. And, and that, therefore, I could just have that anatomy base, take all these courses, use my art background, bring it all in and make it my own. And, uh, and that's what happened. That's how I got into this. Isn't it funny how yeah. every country, basically apart from Holland, that's the only country we've visited in our podcast so far where there's a formal program, yeah. you basically make it up yourself. <laughs> yeah. that, that's essentially what injectors Kinda. are doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there, so there is, I mean, I did take a program. There's the American, uh, so Canadian Board of Aesthetics Medicine is the certification that I have. And I did take that and that was like, but you don't need to have it. Like that was something I took a little later on. Like actually for the first two years, I was doing a lot of self-learning. And then I, I knew that I needed to have some type of certifications. People are going to be asking for qualifications. So I took that and I did it. It's a great program. Uh, but yeah, you're right. You don't need to have it. You just have to prove to the college they have the knowledge, uh, competency, and the skill to to perform these these techniques. What 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 does that certification look like? How long is it, and, and what are you doing, and what does it mean you can do? Well, it's not in order. So again, you don't have to take the course. You know, you don't have to have any certification. You just have to have, show that you have the knowledge, skill, and judgment to do this. So that means that you can shadow someone and if you're a registered nurse a nurse practitioner a physician and i think a dentist too um and you can prove that you've been trained then you can go ahead you don't need to have a certification but the certification courses here they're not heavily regulated in the sense that it's a lot of private courses that are offering it so you can literally take a weekend course and you could say that you're certified to inject but you don't yeah. really have to take that course. this is the australian model exactly yeah so so when you're saying that you needed to demonstrate competency. Who did you mm-hmm. who did you do that with? Was there like some sort of governing body or? You, so it's you don't need to. It's right. just that in the case that you're ever questioned, right. you have to show proof. Let's say if anything goes wrong, right? They're like, well, who are you to inject? You know mm. what I mean? Like, what courses did you take, or who did you train with? You just have to prove that you did just wing this. Thing. It's kind of a bit bizarre, isn't it? It's like yeah. someone, someone's testing that you're competent after you've made them after you've had the issue. It's Correct. like it's like it's like interviewing someone that's just had like a terrible car crash and saying, "Well, hold on a second. Can you actually drive a car?" Yeah. It's just it Pretty seems much. it seems really bizarre. And the competence is the Saturday course in Botox. Uh, yeah. Well done. <laughs> you're competent. <laughs> it, it, it's really weird. It is bizarre. Um it's 
in the end, it's it's such an, a unique field that you know everyone's always talking about this, right? So you know, why isn't this in medicine? Why isn't this in nursing? You know, and and I always have this conversation. With, I, I always find it funny that um, you know it's all marketing a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, you know, for me, it's uh, I have massive respect for plastic surgeons, for dermatologists, for physicians, everyone, everyone who's in any type of field. If they're if they're dedicated to the field amazing and on to them because it's a, you know, they focus their, their craft to that. But it's funny that, you know, every time you see someone like, Oh, before you see anyone for Botox or to do a tear trap, make sure they're double board certified plastic surgeon. Like, that's <laughs> marketing, Steve. Like really, yeah. you need to have that, you know? And then after that, the dermatologist will say, Oh no, you need to be a dermatologist. And the physician will be like, just make sure they're a physician. Then nurse practitioners will be like, uh, I guess make sure you see a nurse practitioner. So yeah. it, it's, it's really, you know, the, as long as you're dedicated to your craft and you have the knowledge, skill and judgment, and at the same time, you have some type of medical background and you're certified in that, you know, I'm all for anyone who's trying to change their career. But if they're, they have, you know, they're trying to just wing this thing and, you know, take a weekend course and, and that's about it. You know, they're going to injure themselves. They're going to injure someone and their career is going to go down the tube anyway. So it's yeah. never yeah. I'm, I'm keen to, you, you kind of touched on the market in Canada. We, we don't know too much no. about it really. So why, why was it so behind in your city and how does it compare to say to the States that, that we know a lot about the States? You know, it's funny, Ottawa, even though you know, Ottawa is the capital of Canada and a lot of people don't know that. It's anytime I go to any major conference in the States, especially, I'll ask them, <laughs> love the States, but every time I go to, you know, I ask them, so they're like, oh, Ottawa, where is that? Oh, I, I, that's where they live at to. I'm like, that's Vancouver, that's the other side of Canada. And we're the second largest country in the world. And Ottawa is actually the capital of Canada. They're, they're flabbergasted. <laughs> yeah. Ottawa, even though it is the capital of Canada, it's pretty small. There's about, I mean, for a major city, it's a million people here. But um, we're, it's, it kind of has a small town feel. You know, they're, yeah. they're, it's booming. There's a lot of infrastructure. But at the same time, it definitely still has a little bit of a small town feel. So uh, things are a little bit more on the conservative side here. And like I said, it, it only started really exploding in the last two, three years with mm-hmm. uh, medical aesthetics. Prior to that, the big cities were Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver, and they were thriving for maybe the last five to seven. But really, even then, that was... I always compare Canada to the, like the latest or the last, and then it's the States and it's UK, and maybe, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure how it is in Australia, but, you know, well, we've got a similar like thing. Asia is like... They start way earlier than everyone. <laughs> well, Canberra's our capital, and it's tiny. I think the population yeah. of Can- of Canberra is like five hundred thousand. I wanted to 000. test Dan. You've, oh, you've given bugger. him the answer because he's coming. You know what? Sorry. <laughs> so it, the reason. So whenever I was actually working before, I actually did travel medicine too. So that, uh, I memorized actually the you know every country in the world at one point. So there's and Australia. Some people come to see me, and there's no vaccines that you need. It's all the same stuff that we have here. But uh, yeah, I know. I. It's a tricky one. Though. A lot of people think it's Melbourne or Sydney or something like that, but Canada, yeah. ACT, right? So yes. Yeah. Ah, there, there you go. go. Did, no, and no. it's just like a little <laughs> section out of New South Wales that they just – because every surrounding border outside of Canberra is New South Wales. So they just like took a little chunk and said, we're going to make this the capital. Yeah. And it's this tiny little place, but it's amazing. I've had businesses there for many years or just up until recently. It's, it's a great spot. Yeah, I've never been, but, but you, you, I, sorry, I David described. I'm pronouncing it wrong. I think I pronounced Canberra or something. Yeah, like just that. uh, ca- Canberra, <laughs> Canberra, Canberra, Canberra. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you said okay. it's uh, it, it's what's about half a million there people, five, something about, like that. About five hundred thousand. Yeah, so it's, it's a little bit 
not behind, but like it does feel smaller town as well. Oh, for sure. And we experienced the same sort of growth trajectory to what you're describing in Ottawa. It was behind the major other major capital cities. People were very conservative. You know, you had lots of people just coming in and whispering over the counter. There's cash sort of in a brown paper bag. <laughs> um, every lots, lots of secrecy. And then it's sort of slowly over the last sort of five to 10 years started to catch up. But there still is. Everything sort of happens a bit more slowly there. I think that just comes down to the nature of just small communities. Everyone knows everyone's business. People like try and combat that by being a bit more private. They don't get the same level of exposure as some of the major cities and sort of, I think, just just by nature of how that works, they tend to be a little more conservative, but they get there. Yeah, definitely. Um, Dan, you said you did lots of, you know, different courses and stuff. Mm. Who were your mentors or or who did you look up to and aspire to? You've got... Other than Jake, obviously. No, definitely not me. I I don't reckon Dan knew who we were before we were put in touch, to be honest. but (laughs) So for me, I mean, now I'm, I'm getting into learning more and, and understanding who the top injectors are. But initially, whenever I first got into it, the biggest ones for me were um, Dr. Swift, Arthur Swift yep. with Dr. Remington. I really kind of liked his focus. Actually, whenever I first got into this, I kind of went into, I wasn't sure how, which approach I was going to take. Because I had an art background, um, I really wanted to not do like a paint by numbers. I really wanted to understand I want to bring in the artistic approach of my, um, you know, not only my aesthetic eye, but also certain key measurements that I think work with uh, particular male versus female features. And um, I felt that Swift did a really good job of that when he partnered with Dr. Remington. So Kent Remington is a dermatologist and they just had like this really cool, unique aspect where they drew out everything they mapped everything out. They explained it really well. And I was that, or I was leaning on Dr. DeMaio's MD codes. Mm. And then I ended up not going with the MD code route. I preferred the other route. Mm-hmm. And it was just more or less, it was more my style. I'm not saying the other route's wrong. I just feel like he had an approach that was similar to what I wanted my practice to be. Uh, so the, that, those two are probably my biggest. And then uh, more recently, I've integrated like Dr. Ben Talley and mm. uh, um, Dr. Subio's approach. Mm-hmm. Like I really like the honesty for them. Um, so it's like, it, it was, it's been a nice transition though, because what was really different coming into medical aesthetics. And I think that, you know, you guys are fully aware of this is from the world of uh, infectious disease, everything's very dry, but very evidence-based. So every time you go to these presentations or lectures, it was like, these are the studies based on, you know, um, hundred thousand, you know, reviewed papers or whatever. And it's like, this is, you know, everything's very, very based on making sure that it's evidence-based. And then you go and you're listening to this, it's like a show you go in and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is like amazing. Like when I first started seeing Dr. Swift present, he's like so fluid, elegant, he's a great speaker and he's on stage and he's talking and, and you almost forget, you're like, is this evidence-based? I'm not sure, but I believe it. <laughs> so, so, um, so you would go and you'd integrate it into practice. But this is where now, you know, the, the more you, you integrate, you know, the more you work, the more you start coming back to your roots. Like, okay, yeah, is this actually going to do what they say? Or is this going to happen only on stage? And then in a week from now, it's going to be different because it's just gel. Like, yeah. this is going to change. And, uh, and I like 
the approach, the honesty with Tally and Subio. They bring that. They bring the the reality and the reality check to you. Say, hey, by mm-hmm. the way, like if you'd ever go to you know a conference for you know cardiology conference, they're not going to do all these you know games. It's basically through evidence based. Remember that, and uh, it, it makes me second guess a lot of things that I do. And it's uh, it just it's cool. It's I like, this field is very interesting, and it's it's always making me think. Yeah. It's almost like a performative art, isn't it, really, when you see these great presenters up on stage doing their thing. You know, it it, it, it's an art in itself. But as you said, it, it's one it's sort of like one moment in time where you're capturing the result at that moment. All the elements have come together, they've got the right product, the patient's been selected perfectly, they're probably anesthetized up to the eyeballs. It's all very, very perfect, but it's not real life. And I think that we are starting to see those conversations happening where people are starting to recognize, yes, there are obviously lots of value in these presentations, but it is only one part of the journey and it needs to be taken for what it is, which is a demonstration or a sort of a, a performative art. Yeah. But there's much more to the art yeah. form than, than just that moment. Yeah, I look, Dan, you, you've taught and you're flying to Australia to, to do some injecting or at least teaching. I'm going to be at the same conference as, as you. And, you know, the last thing you want is you, you fly to the other side of the world and, and there's a model there and you're like, oh, shit. I can't, I can't yeah. do what I want to do on this yeah. face. Or, you know, I want to teach jawline and they don't need a jawline yeah. or, or whatever it may be. So... I understand that the hand picking and and the smoke and the and the mirrors, yes. but at the same time, yes, think, yeah, we I, want it to be real life. Yeah, so I, it's I, hard. I, think, I think you're right. You, you do need to have all those elements, but as long as people are aware and not just using that as their only sort of you know tool to to yes. educate themselves and, and sort of not understanding what that is in terms of the context. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. And you know, I'm a big fan of the MD codes and mentored by Maurizio. Yes, it's a very controlled way everything is done, but it's to showcase a technique. But of course, when you get into your mm. clinic, you need to translate that to mm. your patient. Yeah. So I think that's where a lot of injectors slip up. They they take away, oh, this is cookie cutter. I just do the same again. And then they don't really get the same results or they get an yeah. unusually wide chin on a female or, or, or something like that. Because yeah. I haven't really thought about how to use those codes. Well, I, I remember some of my injectors that would come back from these conferences, particularly the ones by um, Dr. DeMau. And they'd come back and you just look at the filler volume just almost increased by like 50% <laughs> yeah. over like two weeks because everyone's like, oh, I'm going to put 900 mils in everyone. But can I yeah. tell you why? Well, <laughs> one, because they're inspired, obviously, and they want to try a yes. technique, but also um, that particular chain of clinic incentivize injectors yeah. to actually start putting it into practice. Yeah. So there was a financial of course. carrot as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's interesting yeah. how people's minds work. Um, I'm interested, um, Dan, to just tell us a little bit about your practice when you first got started. So you made the decision to move from infectious disease to open up your own clinic in Ottawa. What did that look like? Yeah. You said the market was quite, was quite immature, perhaps still a cottage industry. How did you sort of get started? Just take us on that journey because there are a lot of injectors listening to this podcast who are at various stages of their career, a lot of new people coming in and you've been obviously very successful in a relatively short space of time. So we're just keen to sort of unpack the keys to your success and what it looked like when you got started. So I think the one thing that I did right and kind of naively was I didn't understand, I didn't know that the market here was saturated already with a bunch of injectors. I just really wasn't aware, right? So I knew of maybe like three or four big names here in Ottawa, but that's about it. I didn't know there was probably like 50, you know, you know, clinics already going and it was saturated, which helped me, honestly. Um, I just, 
you know, went in and did my thing. And uh, what I actually did was actually set up shop like in my home at first. I had a little setup in my basement. I just kind of, you know, made it very clean, very sterile, very professional. And, you know, just came in and, uh, and I let people know that I'm certified. And at the same time, I, you know, really practicing here. So I'm charging you, but it was like at a fraction of the price, but at the same time, it was very professional. Everything's documented. Everything is always needed. And I, and I was very open about that. And, uh, after that, um, I ended up going into, I reached out to a few colleagues and friends who had, uh, clinics and they're like, no, can't, you know, and one of a couple of them actually I've been friends with for a while now. And, uh, they, I've been bugging them for like the last 10 years. They're like, just get me in to like inject a little bit. And they're like, I can't, it's still not that busy. And then, um, but whenever I, whenever I started making that transition into actually having people come to my home, that's when I knew, this is when I knew that a, I felt Ottawa was like this untapped market. We're the capital of Canada. There's still no one that's really representing a Canadian other than Dr. Swift, um, for the face of Canada. And I know Dr. Swift is, you know, he may be out on his way out in the next, I don't know, 10 years or something like that, but uh, there's no newer face representing Canada and no one really dominating social mar- social media for, for Canada. And uh, that's where I, I felt like I was, I'm like, I'm going to go all in and um, I'm going to make it my own. So I, I asked him and he's like, no, you know, do your own thing. I'm like, perfect. Did my own thing. And it motivated me. So I came in, did this here, went to a bunch of other clinics, asked, no one was taking anybody. No one was hiring anyone. And I said, no problem. So I actually reached out to another spa that wasn't a medical aesthetic spa. And uh, they knew my wife. My wife was an Aveda rep and, uh, for the region. And uh, they knew that I was getting really serious about medical aesthetics. They knew my background as a nurse practitioner and uh, how professional I was. And they said, yeah, Dan, I see your drive. Let's make you the face here. So I went in there and uh, I helped grew you know, grow them and at the same time help grow my brand. But I let them know, you know, afterwards I said, you know, by the way, this is like probably going to be a stepping stone for me. Eventually I'd like to do like my own thing. And they were very receptive to that. And uh, afterwards, you know, uh, my wife and I bit the bullet and, uh, and did our own thing, which was kind of difficult because it was going really well there. (laughs) (laughs) And it, you know, it's the, that was a big conversation. I knew I always want to have my own business, but once it starts becoming really easy, you're kind of like, wow, I actually want to go through this whole business thing. But deep down in my roots, uh, whenever I was 20, I, always, I really wanted to have my own business. And uh, my dad had like this book, that Rich Dad, Poor Dad book. And oh, I yeah. read it when I was mm-hmm. like 20. And I'm like, man, I got to have my business one day. And that didn't matter how good it was going over there. I need to make sure that I was going to have my own thing. And, uh, it was only like 10 months ago where my wife and I opened up this new clinic and, uh, it's been, it's been fantastic mm. and it's been going great. Was that the Rob Kiyosaki book you were referencing there and Rich Dad Pod? Was that yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Great book. Yeah. I was just going to yeah. just sort of talk about like a, a, a thought that came to me while, while you were talking about that at the beginning part of you were explaining your, your beginning of your journey, which was you were in a saturated market. And I think a lot of people, when they hear a saturated market, they might shy away from that and think to themselves, well, Mm -hmm. there's already so much competition here. Maybe I'll go and find somewhere else. But I just wanted to perhaps suggest a different way to look at it, which is that sometimes saturated markets can be the opposite. They can be a a great place of opportunity because you'll find that in these saturated markets, 
a lot of people are doing the same thing as everybody else. You've already got a market of consumers or patients who know about these procedures. They're probably undertaking them. And if you can come into a saturated market and do things differently, do them better, separate yourself from the pack, then you've got a captive audience there. And the, the, the word of mouth will just spread so fast. So it's not always about trying to find areas that don't have competition. Sometimes leaning into areas that are heavily competitive can actually be better than going somewhere where these services don't exist. Just a, just a different perspective. No, I agree. And I, I think Dan already found his X yes. factor, which was male. It is slightly different. A lot of nurses are female. Um, he, uh, you know, picked up a few different injecting styles. So he sort of blended, you yeah. know, different styles. And then there's the social media aspect, which let's be honest, not many injectors yeah. do it really well. We're all on yeah. there. Yeah. But, you know, I, I think you've actually got a strategy, Dan, and we'll come on to that. But many don't. Yeah. It's like the concept of like a precinct where there's a lot of restaurants. And then you open up a restaurant there that's like different and better than all the other restaurants. But you've got the footfall. You've, of- you've got the footfall. Everyone's like, great. You've just like, you've just captured the market that was already there and taken them into your business rather than to someone else's. So, yeah. yeah. Do, do you agree with that, Dan? Oh, yeah. No, I, the, uh, f- for me, the, big, the biggest part was honestly the social media. Yeah. Uh, like, to, to be honest, uh, that, that was the key factor and that was the key factor going in. I said, no matter what, Whenever I found out that the, whenever I ended up going out to you know that spa, that's when I found out this market was saturated. I was like, oh crap, okay, now what? But at the same time, I knew that I really needed to put myself out there, and the only way to do that was through social media. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Like in the end, uh, I did have a goal, and uh, my goal was actually insane. It wasn't just to be you know the better, the best injector in Ottawa. I wanted to be the face or the best injector in Canada. And, uh, that just ended up making me aspire and try crazier things than anything I've ever would have thought of prior. And as a result, I'm, you know, I'm here on this podcast with you guys. Like <laughs> if I would have just tried to be the best in Ottawa, we've never, we wouldn't be having this chat. Yeah. Right. So, um, having that goal and having the courage to do that is, is really, it's, it's like 90% of it, honestly. Fortune favors the brave Dan. <laughs> yeah it's true we've got we've it's got mr miyagi true. here <laughs> it's true and it's it's uh easier said than done it is. but at the same time um you have to have like a systematic approach where it's going to be consistency you want to make sure there's quality and uh you want to make sure that you can just take the punches because there's going to be a lot of naysayers there's going to oh, be yeah. a lot of people who like whenever I first started doing that, I had all everyone in the community, or not everyone, but there, you know, people in the, you know, big names in the community, like who the heck are you? Who are you to be on social media? Who are you to say these things? And in the end, I wasn't claiming anything. If you go back to any of my videos, I'm not saying that you know I'm a master. I'm just saying these are my techniques. This is what I do in my practice. That's it, you know. And if and um, and I also um, found a niche in the sense that whenever you're you know you research anything anything you, you can literally go to google and try or youtube and try and find anything and there's nothing on medical sex at that time other than maybe um you know a few people but they anytime i try to actually look for something substantial they would kind of fizzle out and I really wouldn't get anything out i listened for 10 minutes i'm like i'm not getting anything in here i'm like i can be that guy i can give the people what they want so so that's exactly what i did i knew that it had to be short and it would have to be um it would have to be concise uh, it would have to be, um, you know, professional. And at the same time, I would have to make sure that I'm 
I'm going up against plastic surgeons who are going to pick me apart. So whatever I was going to present, I would have to make sure it's detailed. Yeah. Um, and I just did consistently. And I said I was going to post 50 videos in a year. I think I post like 40 or something like that. But uh, the consistency was key. It, I, I was going to get onto the social media later, but let's talk about it now. I mean, I think I saw you talking to Miranda Pierce recently. She, she's been on the show. She's a good friend of ours. And you were talking, or she was asking you, how did you start that? How did you get the inertia to get yourself on videos? And you said, you know, you basically sort of had to force yourself and we all feel a bit stupid and many people get shy and they just don't want to put their face out there. So how would you encourage people to start that? Because it's, you know, once you start, it, it's easier, you get comfortable with it. But many people just do not want to put their face out there. So yeah. how did you do it? I was lucky in the sense that uh, because I, I mentioned of the background of the infectious disease, I had that. I knew that I need to take a lot of courses to make sure I felt confident. Uh, and not only the courses, but a lot of self-independent learning to understand and pick apart certain questions that I would have. That if I didn't get to ask them or if I thought about it on the way home, like, oh yeah, how does that work? I would do the immediate research and then I would understand it. And then actually doing the videos helped me understand it even more. So once I, I had that foundation, uh, I took the squash element. The squash element was, you know, I thought that the three years of dedicating myself to squash of trying to be the best, uh, it was going to be linear. And really it was like a graph. The, you know, I, I was taking lessons, I was putting in all the work, but I was losing a lot initially. Then I'd win, then I'd lose, then I'd lose, then I'd lose, then I'd win, and then I'd lose against someone who I, I, I used to be before I even took lessons. And you just have to stick to the process. You have to trust the process and you have to stick to it. And I understood that there's going to be a lot of downs, but if you can get through the downs and stick with it, the highs are going to be, you know, you're going to get to where you want to go. You just got to put in the work. So that was that combination of the mentality was really what helped me kind of just stay focused and stay in my lane. Um, you know, not only that, it doesn't matter who you are. Whenever I remember, I said like, so I ended up taking these um, uh, sports psychology books. I was reading a lot of sports psychology books in order to help my mental game. And what I took a big time from that sports psychology book was every athlete, almost every single athlete, professional athlete feels and thinks the same way you do in the sense that you saw you have a lot of self-doubt you you feel that if you're going to miss this goal or if you you know you've already missed you haven't scored in the last four games and if you miss this one you're going to be critiqued what are your sponsors going to think what are you and all these crazy thoughts going in your head and as soon as you start thinking that way that's whenever you start crumbling and then that's whenever people give up or their, their careers go down they end up seeing sports psychologists and they kind of give them this straight path and it's just Focus on the ball. Focus on this. If you miss a shot, it's not uh, what a terrible shot you suck. It's right shot. Next time, a little more on the follow through. Keep going, and then you're you're back into it. So you stay focused, and that combination is what I use whenever I'm doing anything in this field with social media. Because a lot of people are like, how do you do this? How do you like? How can you just like people who are you know confronting you or giving you negative comments or whatever how do you just like let that flop your back it's because i just stay in my lane i i'll say thank you i appreciate it but i i have another focus i'm not trying to be better than them i have a focus of trying to be the face for canada that's it and if you know on the way there if i surpass them i surpass them and if uh if in the end also i usually feel that whenever i get this a little bit of hate 
it's usually because they're thinking about me and that's a good thing. Uh, so it, it kind of keeps me focused and saying like, I'm doing the right thing. If I'm getting critiqued, I'm doing the right thing. They may not, may not believe in me now, but in five years from now, they're going to come say like, man, this is a good job. Yeah. Everyone's, <laughs> I there, still to, believe that. everyone's there to congratulate you when you get there, but, uh, on the, on the way there, you can come across some some very difficult obstacles. I'd be interested to know what those uh, sports psychology books are that you read because I think that those thought processes are transferable to anything in life. And I think you're kind of alluding to that in, in what we were just discussing. But from my experience, you know, those voices that you hear externally from people or you might hear if someone tells you about something someone said behind your back, but you also have those own, as you said, those own voices in your own head and they're like a protection mechanism. They're there just to protect you from failing. And so- Everyone has them with everything in life, whether it be, yeah, as you said, playing sport, maybe learning a musical instrument, another artistic pursuit. Those voices are always there. It's just learning how to push back and, and, and sort of go through that period of pain or learning how to ignore them or how to override them with logical thought, with positive voices, having mentors, reading books like you're, like you're suggesting. Yeah, no, I agree. And yeah. I was just going to say, I'm my own biggest critic and, and I think that's good and bad and, and it keeps you a bit humble, but at the same time, it can hold you back if you don't do exactly what you just said, Dan, and sort of, you know, recognize and focus on the goal. Yeah. So, no, I agree. I think, a lot of, I, I think a lot of people in this field, whenever they're, they, they always wonder, you know, that they feel that I'm brave. They're like, okay, you're brave. You're just going out there and just like, you know, making these videos. I don't think I'm ready yet. I don't think, I think I need the 10,000 hours of practice and like 10 years of experience before I feel I should do that. And when is that ever going to happen? Because whenever you get to there, you realize, man, I still don't know a lot of stuff. Yeah. So there's, there's never really the exact time. Um, but I do believe that whenever you've taken enough courses and a lot and, and enough self-learning to the point that you feel that you're ready to be uh, a knowledgeable provider and a safe injector and a good and if you feel you're a good injector you don't have to wait 10 years i think that you can do this much quicker than a lot of people feel and a good example is this you know a, a golf my dad golfs like he golfs like 90 games a season right we have you know three solid summer months here and he still he plays 90 games every year and but he'll never break usually 76, 78, which is still pretty good. But he's been playing for like 40 years, you know. I feel that if you take lessons with someone who's dedicated to that craft, and if they, you know, you can be a scratch golfer within, you know, you can a fraction of that time. And it's the same thing in medical studies. You don't have to um, be an injector for 10 plus years. And then after that, you can go ahead and start telling people. I think that if you've, taken enough courses you've dedicated yourself to the craft enough that you understand it and you're doing it safely and you're getting good results then you can just go ahead and share with the rest of the world you know what you know but that's the other secret is having the courage to share what you know because a lot of providers don't want to do that they feel that they need to keep it for themselves they've they've spent the thousands of dollars because this these courses are really expensive so they feel that they need to keep it for themselves but it's it, the secret is is you have to share your knowledge, and if you can do that for free, then it's going to come back to you. Um, one of the big books that I love reading, or I loved I loved reading, or the guy that I feel is uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, and he has a book mm-hmm. called Jab 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 Left Hook, and he's all about that. He says, listen, as a lot of people online, they're trying to immediately sell something. They're going to put themselves out there. They say, "Oh yeah, buy my course or whatever." He's like, "No one's, no one knows who you are. That you know, you're just coming out as a cheesy salesman." 
give them free content, give them lots, don't ask for anything, keep giving them free stuff. And then eventually you go with the left hook, left hook, which is something small, a favor, and then they're more inclined to help you out because you've already helped them out for the last two years for free. Well, you built the trust, that, the, that, the bond. Yeah. Philosophy, yeah. Sounds like our podcast. Right. Yes, I was literally just <laughs> yeah. thinking that. It's really three it years. Is, and yeah. it, it, that is exactly your podcast. You guys have a great thing. I was going through the, your list of people. You guys, uh, it's amazing. And that's exactly what you guys should be doing. And I think this is what a lot of people who struggle with social media, they're immediately trying to get something out of it and can't. It's just give the world you know, free content, be honest, be humble and uh be transparent people see through that and later on people will come yeah just being motivated for the right reasons i think and chasing chasing the money is always a short like i've always leads to peril in my in my experience and people just have that as their primary objective they forget about all the other reasons they started doing something um and yeah coming coming from a place yeah in everything, right? And even like at the basic of having your practice, right? So people are like, oh, we got to get more people in. You know, I see companies are always trying to like load people in and inject them. And then later on, if they follow up, it's like charge them for more syringes that they need like a top up. It's like, well, what are you trying to do here? It sounds like you're just trying to get more money. In the end, go above and beyond. Be honest. If you think it's going to take three syringes and if it takes like a fourth syringe, it's on you. And later on, that will come back to you. Later on, you'll learn from it and you'll learn that maybe it's four syringes or you'll find a way to make it in three. Um, but don't overcharge. Go above and beyond for the client always. And if they follow up and they feel, you know what, kind of feel like it's a little lower down here. And you're like, you're right. I think it's probably from the information. Open up another syringe, give it to them for free. I'm telling you, like, don't worry about the money now. Think about, you know, the clients that you're going to get six months to a year from now from that. Good philosophy. I like that. Going back to um, your aesthetic, I guess. I've seen your work. It's, it's very nice. It's very natural. It's very skilled. Um, and you said there was this kind of, I guess, debate between evidence-based and art. And I know that Arthur Swift, he's got this, I don't know if he's still doing it, but the, with the caliper technique and the phi ratios, etc. Do you do any of that? Or are you more freestyling and sort of looking at the eye, you know, just looking at a face and guesstimating? No, that's my thing. Like, honestly, so that was the nice thing with Arthur Swift is that he, whenever I, I went to one of his conferences, uh, here in Montreal and it was amazing. And after that, I was like, wow, I really took a lot from him, Mm -hmm. but there was a lot that I didn't write down. So I'm like, I got to follow this guy. So I went and followed him to like Miami, California. I, I literally like just went around and a lot of it was just a lot of repetition but it's like a good book. You know, a lot of people read a book once and then, or listen to a good podcast once, and then that's it. You're not going to take much from it. If you found a good podcast or if you found a good book, reread it over and over again and write these things down. And the same thing, if you found an injector that you like, that you, that relates or resonates with you, go back and keep seeing them and write down things and ask questions and later on integrate that into your practice. And I found that's what I got from him. And, um, and he was really honest about that. He's like, you guys should be doing more of uh, a consultation with your clients and using detail, like have instruments, have calipers, um, because people remember that. And um, and that was one a big thing that I did. I took that and I ran with it. And then I, you know, went and did it, you know, brought back my art books, got back everything, how to like draw the face for you know, the differences between masculine, feminine face, jawline, tapering, V square, apex of the cheek, everything. 
And I really drew it out and I would bring that with my clients and I would explain that to my clients with the calipers and draw it and they would love it. They would love it because I was so focused to detail and I wanted to make sure that they were seeing what I was seeing. And only until that we both agreed uh, at the plan, then I'd go ahead. And then later on, they would just talk about it, like, oh, you got to see this guy. It's like so detailed. I've never had anything like it. And no one was doing that here. Mm. And I would get some slack from providers like, why it takes forever to do that? Like, I don't get it. You don't really need to do that. It's like, no, you don't need to. But if you go to a good plastic surgeon or even an orthopedic surgeon, they draw out everything, they circle everything. They draw out everything, what they're going to do to make sure it's precision. Why not do that in medical aesthetics? It is the face after all for most of the things that you're treating and people will appreciate it. and you get a more consistent result out of it. Yeah. You don't have to, but I do it and I, and I, I definitely run with it. Yeah. No, I've never used the calipers, but I, I draw a lot. And I think the beauty of your technique is it, it takes the subjectivity out of it. It makes it very objective. Like you're not saying, oh, I think you need this and that. The calipers are showing you what needs to be done. It's like a architecture. It's just uh, yeah. the, the measurements don't I, lie. I tell, you're absolutely right. And I tell them, like, listen, like, you know, the calipers are really just helping me. Like I have an aesthetic eye. The calipers are giving me an objective tool to make sure, A, that I'm getting symmetric I'm, I'm symmetrical where your apexes or highlights should be are there and at the same time if you ever leave once we're done you're never going to look over puffed up or ever inflated because this is keeping me in check that's what i say and they love it and they just feel that much more relaxed before i start injecting because if they're relaxed in the chair and you're relaxed and you can go do your thing hmm. how do you pull back from from that over scientific or mathematical perspective when you're looking at someone's face and we all are asymmetrical we've all got things about our face that are potentially unique to us that make us look like individuals it is a bit of a issue that is plaguing our industry i think is this sort of cookie cutter approach where you get all these people getting the same kind of you know a lot of people are starting to look the same and so how do you take that scientific approach or the mathematical approach and then sort of pull back from it and sort of trust your eye or, or identify those features that make those, those people individuals and then implement, implement that into, into your procedure. So this is where I really like to take Dr. Ben Talley's philosophy because if I ever watch anything he's doing, he'll really cut down people who are trying to do the cookie cutter approach and he makes me second guess what I'm doing. Right. So I have this approach of what I feel is feminine. You know, you want a tapered chin, you want to make sure it's proportioned the whole bit. But really, in the end, these are unique features to them. And it's, you know, are, are we making them look better or is it just that we're trying to make them look like a second rate movie star? You know what I mean? Like, uh, I like people's features if they're unique and quirky and if it works for them. So the first thing I'll ask is listen, we can definitely, whenever they're coming in for their assessment, the question is going to be, would you like a full face assessment, uh, detailed assessment of what I think that we could potentially do, and you can learn from fillers, Botox, you know, lasers or whatever, um, or would you just like to prefer to go over questions and concerns that you might have or that I might be able to answer, and therefore I don't have to pick a, you know apart your face, and you get a fifty percent. You know, some people come in they're like, oh, okay, thanks, I don't want to be picked apart actually. Uh, I just really want to fix these lines and a couple little things, and that's it's like perfect. You know what? face looks amazing as it is and let's just kind of soften a few lines turn back the clock maybe a few years and therefore i don't have to do that but if someone's coming in and they want like the whole systematic approach then that will be a conversation with them and myself such as you know your question is are you going to change their face if i think it works for them 
And if I think so, sometimes I'll have someone come in and they're like, I'm not sure about my nose. I'm like, this is the first thing I, I like about their features that they have a unique little butt nose and it's cute. And I think that, you know, this is a key feature for them. I will recommend them not touching their nose for that reason. It's a unique feature. It makes them, you know, have you ever had, does your boyfriend or partner like it? Is this uh, a nose that runs in the family? If so, keep it. You know, for me, I have a little bit of a drooping tip. And sometimes I think like, maybe I should bring it up a little bit. I could do that with some filler, but my son has my exact nose and my father has exact nose and I'm never going to change it for that reason. So for me, I have to think that way for my clients. I'll ask them these questions. And if there's something that's personal to them, uh, then we won't touch it. But if they're like, no, I hate this thing. Like this is been bugging me since I was like 10 years old. And if you can do anything to change it and, you know, make it slimmer and make the illusionist slimmer, please do so. Then I'll, I'll say, okay, we'll go ahead and do that. But I, I, it's a, it's a dialogue between the two of us. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good point for injectors listening. Cause I know a lot of people struggle with that conversation because a lot of, a lot of injectors fall into the habit of just taking orders from their, from their patients. You know, I want this, I want this many units of tox here. And they don't know how to have that conversation or be, begin that dialogue of doing a full facial assessment. Cause it can feel quite confrontational it can feel like you're being potentially um not rude but you know no one probably likes to have their face sort of de sort of deconstructed like that so i think what you, your strategy of sort of asking them which way they'd like to go which then gives the injector the permission to be able to have that that frank and honest conversation i think that's a really really good strategy yeah i agree um i tend to use that strategy when i think that the patient is a little bit on the back foot they're a little bit yeah. um, uncomfortable with the process. And so I'll say, how far do you want to take this? Um, you know, do you want me to give my full professional opinion or should we just rein this down into some of your key priorities? And, yeah. you know, just be honest with your patient. Yeah. Just say, I, I can do many things. I've got a, a cupboard full of stuff, but <laughs> that doesn't mean we have to use it today. Yeah. So yeah. I, yeah. I think just be honest with your patient. It works. Yeah. I think that's really good. Um, what do you think about, uh, well, I don't know what the, the, the look is like in Canada, but here in Australia, I think it's calming down actually, but yeah. we were plagued with this sort of hyper-augmented look with the lips and the cheeks and the jawline and so on. And there's this sort of concept that you may have heard of um, from Dr. Harris in the UK of dissolving clinics and, you know, dissolving it all and starting again. What, what do you think about that sort of practice as an injector? Is it something that you shy away from or do you, do you encourage people to sort of reboot? It's a good question. It's kind of like a combination of A and B. Um, if someone comes in and they've had, if, you know, one of the first questions I ask them actually is, what's the first thing, you know, give me a key feature of your face that you love. And usually the first thing I'll see is if their lips are out to here and they're over injector, they're migrating. I'm like, please don't say their lips. <laughs> if they say their lips and that's a different conversation. But if uh, they say their eyes or whatever, but they're, they're wondering about their lips and I see there's a little bit of migration issue happening. Um, there's a lot of people who are afraid of dissolving, right? Because they feel that they're going to look like they're completely deflated. They see things online of, you know, like super wrinkled. They're going to look like a prune and sometimes it doesn't come back. Or some people have reactions to hyaluronides. Um, I go over all that with them. So first of all, if they're really on the fence of dissolving and I have a whole conversation with it, then I can try and do a partial dissolve. And I'll place a little bit on top of the lip. It's, you know, not complete science, accurate science because it does disperse, right? And you don't have full accuracy with it. But it's a 50% chance, in my opinion, from what I've seen, that it's going to give uh, an improved result. Yeah, and It may not be perfect, but it's definitely improved. And then at that point, I could just let them know, you know, just don't fill your lips for another year or so. Just let them go down on their own and you'll be fine. 
Um, or if they're younger, you know, there's, there's two groups, right? You have a group where um, there's actually three. So someone who's really mature, they're, let's say, 65 or over, and uh, they've had filler, you know, numerous times. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, I've got to dissolve this. It's starting to look fake and I got to go. Well, now they're 65 and they're utilizing filler to uh, restore, hydrate their skin, restore the fat they've lost. The SMAS is likely shrunk. Uh, You know, the muscles shrunk and they're using filler to kind of like hold everything in place. So if you dissolve that, then everything really does look deflated. And it's not that they, yes, maybe, maybe they're still up in the air for your own hyaluronic acid is actually dissolved or not. And if it's restored in the next few days, whatever. But again, this is a more mature client and everything's kind of brought down. And it's because that filter is holding everything up and it's probably been there for you know, several years and they haven't seen their face without for several <laughs> years. That's why people are going to look shriveled. Um, and you can, in the end, sometimes you'll have to hold your hand. You can like slightly refill them if you want, or you use a skin booster or whatever, and that'll, that'll be fine. Uh, the other group is someone who's really young, and they've just completely overfilled their face. They just don't, they don't even see that they're overfilled until the point where they have like pillow face, and uh, they have numerous syringes of filler in there, and the, the tissues have expanded. If it's been long enough that it's been expanded, and now you decide to dissolve everything, it's going to be similar, but not quite the result of someone who's 65 and over, right? Everything deflates, everything looks sunken. And now you actually have skin integrity tissue, like damage or, you know, damage. It's similar to someone who's 400 pounds and they lose a bunch of weight. If they've been 400 pounds for 10 years and they go on a rapid weight loss and they lose all this weight, they're going to have sagging skin. It's not going to look great compared to someone who's maybe gained 60 to 100 pounds in the last year and their skin hasn't really change that much and they lose it within the year they'll go back and they'll look fine it's similar in my opinion it's very similar with filler if it's been there for a long time and you really overstretch the skin and then you dissolve it you're going to have issues but if you've overinflated uh recently and you don't like it and you dissolve it you'll be fine so same so the the people who are going to be okay are the people who uh you know if they feel that they've overinflated or overfilled or had someone overfill them in the last year and they want to dissolve it, sure, go ahead. Uh, but that also varies on the location on the face. Cheeks, usually fine. But when it comes down to lips, lips are a little bit of an issue, right? Because people want their lips filled every six months. And they're like, oh, the reason why it's gone is because I moved my lips and the metabolism is gone. It's like, no, the lip filler is still there. It's there for a <laughs> year to two years. Where do you think it's going? It's just moving back because your mouth moves a lot. And it's just moving back. In six months, it's moved back, but you may not be able to see it because it's so little. Really, it's like a half syringe on top, half syringe at the bottom, move back. You won't even, you can't tell. Do that two, three more times, then you start seeing it. And you might be creating even a pocket. And that's the issue is that whenever you've created some type of pocket with the filler and now you go to dissolve it, if you try and refill it, there's no guarantee that it's just going to pocket right back. And I do tend to see that. So it's uh, it, it's tricky sometimes whenever you have someone who has drastically overfilled lips and it's pocketed and it's been a pocket there for a good one or two years. Sometimes whenever they dissolve it, you just have to wait a little while, like a good year, and you don't know. This is still new in the field of medical aesthetics of how long do you have to wait until it, it doesn't migrate again. Well, and that's why I was asking because this is the, the dilemma. We get patients coming with you know not optimal work let's just put it nicely (laughs) 
And yet Mm -hmm. we know if we dissolve them, they're going to hate the result because they're going to look deflated and they're going to immediately be calling saying, I need to be refilled. We know that we shouldn't do that. We need to let the tissues rest and Mm -hmm. not just the tissues rest, but maybe the brain to rest to stop thinking about all this stuff and, and fixating on shape and symmetry and just have a period where you understand your face again. But patients don't want to do that. That's the dilemma. Um, it's yeah, really, really to tricky. Everyone now to, if they're doing their lips, especially I say, you know, you can do it once. And if they have, if they're trying to maybe grow, like increase, expand the tissue, it's a risk, you mm. know, even in going an extra, you know, half mil to a mil in four to six months, you're kind of asking for migration. There's only a limited amount of space there, but after the two, then I, I encourage everyone who does lips not do it any more often than once a year. And the reason why is just because you're really asking for it to pocket somewhere, migrate. And they're not, they may not be happy with that because at six months, they're going to like, oh, I really like how my lips look before. But it's either that or some clinics are now just every time they do their lips, they dissolve it and then they refill it. And is that bad? I, maybe not because if they're young enough and they have healthy tissue and they only have a limited, like a small amount of filler in there and they dissolve it, come back two weeks, everything's restored. You yeah. haven't created a pocket. There's no risk of migration. Then you can refill. That could be a good solution. Yeah. I know we're dying to talk to you about social media, but I do wanted to ask you one question before we get there, which was on ultrasound, yeah. which we've spoken about a lot on mm. the podcast and we don't have it written down to sort of it. Now, what's your, what are your thoughts on it? Are you implementing it into your practice anytime soon? Perhaps you already are. Um, and how do you, I am. yeah. Okay. I'm, and yeah, t- talk to us about it. What, what's your experience like and, and sort of what's good, what's not good. Where do you think it's going? I like, I like it. I think uh, it takes time to use it, I th- but you know, this is again one of those fields where you know, time is money for a lot of people, and everybody wants things very quickly, and they want patients in and out, and they feel that it's just it doesn't. They don't have enough time to use the machine. But if you've taken the time to utilize it and understand how to use it, it can be done quickly, and you don't have to use it all the time. I try to use a cannula for most of my injections, but there are certain times where I'm going to use a needle. And even if I am using a needle, I don't always need to use the ultrasound. But there are certain times where I am going to use the ultrasound. Uh, for example, if I'm going to do uh, the temple, mm-hmm. I'm definitely taking on my ultrasound because I usually do a shotgun technique. And after that, I do um, uh, interfascial plane cannula technique. And the, the, the needle technique, I'm, I'm for sure going to take on my ultrasound. Anytime I do the chin, I usually do it because that uh, cemental artery that runs here sometimes can be a little bit more superficial or deeper than you expect. And it's, it's the only one on the face that I feel is kind of all over the place. So I, I will take it out for that. Uh, if I'm going to be doing the no liquid rhinoplasty, I'll do it uh, just to make sure, see if there's one that's running right, uh, right across the midline. Uh, but for the most part, I don't really need to use it. I'll use it if I think, uh, I'll also use it if uh, I'm trying to see if someone still has filler somewhere. Yeah. Um, if I'm trying to locate something that, you know, they, they said they tried to dissolve a few times, but they feel, they swear they can feel something. I'll take it out and I'll see if I can find something there. Uh, it'll help me, um, you know, locate a, a filler. So there are, there are definitely times to use it. I have the Clarius L20 ultrasound. It's the Canadian, it's yep. Canadian brand. Yep. And you just need a little time to practice with it, but it definitely, it's a good tool to have in the clinic. The other time I, I used it was once I wasn't sure. So I do cannula technique often enough for the lip. I do both, but sometimes I do cannula. The problem is, is so 98% of the time, the uh, facial artery is going to split a scent from the superior and uh, inferior labial artery 
about a centimeter to centimeter and a half lateral of the oral commissure. But the 2% of the time, sometimes it's a little closer. And where I'm putting my needle for my introducer, sometimes I'm going to nick it. Mm. And uh, if that happens, it's a pretty big bruise. And you'll only notice it after you're done the procedure. And then I wasn't sure. I was like, it was a pretty good little bruise. And I wasn't sure, you know, if this was actually an occlusion or if this was, you know, me nicking an artery. And uh, it was it was big enough that I, you know, I kept the patient back. They didn't really have the signs of it. I'm like, I've got an ultrasound. I just put the ultrasound on there and I saw the artery pulsing. I was like, you're good. Yeah, and it was great. So the the ultrasound is also helpful for that. You've just summarised my talk that I'm going to be doing at Fresh Live, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) However, this comes out after Fresh Live, so yeah, uh, that's good. Before we get to social media, I know you don't ask about it because you're the social media king, Jake. But um, well. I guess you both no, are. No, Dan's you both are. trust me. Um, you're the prince. There you go. <laughs> um, I did want to just talk about this mentality of time because I think particularly in Australia, I don't know what it's like in Canada, but in Australia, especially with a lot of chain clinics, there's this sort of perception of fast, in and out, 30-minute Botox treatments, 45 minutes for fillers. Just think we just need to stop with that. I mean, if you go and get a breast augmentation done or a facelift, you're not saying to your plastic surgeon, now doc, look, I've got, uh, I've got something to do tomorrow. Like I'm only going to be in theaters for two hours. So, I mean, those discussions don't happen. I just feel that particularly those clinics that are really busy doing lots of lots and lots of patients every day, perhaps it's worthwhile just considering stop worrying about time so much because if you're going to do all these things properly and separate yourself from the pack, do proper consultations, take out your calipers and all the instruments that you have there, you're doing, you know, preemptive ultrasounding to look for a patient's anatomy. Just take a breath, slow down. You don't need to see 20 patients in a day. You're better off seeing less, giving them proper consultation, not being rushed, someone knocking on your door saying your next patient's here. I just think we're kind of creating a rod for our own back with that type of thinking. I know not everyone does it, but I know there are a lot of places that do. So just maybe something to think about. I totally agree. I don't know how you feel, Dan, but COVID for me was the best thing because it forced me to relook at everything. But one of the big things was how much time I allocate yeah. to services. Now, of course, you can't have, you know, can't be unlimited. Yeah, you you need course. to book people in, but I gave myself a lot of breathing yeah. room and it's been the best thing I've ever done. I don't, I, I mean, how do you run your day Dan? How do you book people in? What do you allocate yourself? If it's a first patient, I book an hour. And yeah. if I don't go through it, I don't go through it, but I spend an hour because sometimes I'm going to use the hour and they really appreciate it. It's a, uh, it's a good conversation um, the consultation is detailed, go through everything they need with regards to skincare, with regards to, you know, what Botox does, fillers, you know, um, microneedling and radiofrequency, all that stuff. And, uh, but if it's a toxin client, you know, if it's like a follow-up, it'll be, you know, 20 minutes. If it's, uh, because, you know, you don't need to spend half an hour for a toxin client. You can, you know, still have a good conversation, make sure that their questions are answered. You just don't want to push it to like, you know, those five, 10 minute kind of like in and out stuff. Um, I feel that for toxin, it's 20 minutes. For me, if it's filler, I, uh, it's going to usually be 20 to half an hour. Most of the time it's half an hour because it gives me that room. It gives me the room just in case if anything isn't looking right or if anything were to go wrong. Knock on wood, it's extremely rare to the point where I've only really had one issue in my career. Um, and it happened. Uh, a couple of days later, uh, yeah. it didn't even happen, but it gives me that time just in, uh, in case something were to arise where I would feel pressured. I would feel 
what would happen if you do have like 10 minute, 15 minute slots all day and in the middle of your day, you get an occlusion, mm-hmm. you know, how are you going to, what are you going to do for the rest of the day? All your clients are going to know that you have an occlusion because that client's still there and you're late and you're going back and forth and you know, something's going to happen. So they're going to feel it. So I don't want to have to deal with that. Um, I, it brings me back to whenever I was practicing, it was funny before, whenever I was practicing as a nurse practitioner and I had my own practice, we would see max, I think I was seeing 16 patients a day um, at my family practice. And the physicians, some of them were seeing 30 to 40, mm. right? And, um, but they would be so envious of the nurse practitioners because in the end, they would have so much more homework. You know, they had all these patients that they're seeing, they wouldn't have time to do their paperwork during yeah. the day. They'd have to do it afterwards. And because they're seeing double the work, they would have double the paperwork. So they would have a full day book. They're always behind. And then they'd have to go home and do three to four hours of paperwork. And they hated their lives. And they were always pissed off at us because we were doing our paperwork in between. And we were like, I had like the best life. And uh, so I remembered that. And I remember there was one point as a nurse practitioner, I almost worked with a physician who asked me to take on, you know, work with him. But he's like, you're going to have to like pump up your practice because I was actually the coordinator at the walk-in. And once in a while I would work the walk-in and I would see like 50 patients in like, an eight hour period. It was crazy. It was just like in and out. But I knew in the end, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want the homework. I didn't want to have the hassle of being bombarded and feeling burnt out because most of the physicians were feeling burnt out. So I, I remember that in this practice, I'm like, let's take it calm. You know, in the end, let's just make sure clients are happy. I'm happy. I'm still making great money. And, uh, at the same time, I'm fulfilled in my career. The clients are happy. I get to go home happy and stress-free. And it's it's worth it. It's definitely worth it. For a lot of the nurses that are listening that are not practitioners, they'll obviously need to add more time on because they have to call the doctor for scripts and so on. So I know you guys, you know, nurse practitioners and doctors do their own, but yeah, just something to point out. There. No, that's a good yeah. point. Yeah. It, it's tough whenever you're, so the, the beauty of our clinic is I'm the one doing the, yeah. the injections. And if I, I plan on bringing in someone sooner than later, and uh, it's going to be a slow transition, making sure that every anytime they see someone i'm going to be there to make sure everything's okay the client feels that i'm you know there with them uh but it's difficult right whenever i had a um a buddy of mine asked me he's like what why is it that you know people look crazy why do the people look (laughs) overfilled whenever they have access to like the best people in the world like you see people in Beverly Hills, all these you know celebrities who look over how is that possible and, um, in the end, I don't, there, there's multiple reasons, but I guarantee, I know that in where I'm working, there's a, a couple of facilities nearby that's uh, run a very different model where it's patient in patient out. And the patient comes in and the patient says, I want a sharper jaw. I want a, I want a nicer jawline where it's, it's a business. The, the owner is not the one doing the injections. So it, it's going to hinder them to say, you know, the, the nurse or whoever the injector is, is going to get probably crapped on if they say, no, I'm not going to do that for you. They really want, you know, the volume. That's going to be six syringes for them. Absolutely. You want a jawline? I can do it. Where maybe someone who really looks at the face and overall they'll take an appropriate approach because they want this client to stick with them long term. They'll say, you know what? It's not going to look, you're not going to look better with this jawline. It's going to just masculinize your face, and, uh, have a different approach. So it's, it's tough whenever you're dealing with a business uh, where it's, it's not run maybe by the owner and you have a, other, other in incentives where it's just money, 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 um, instead of someone who's really caring for the client. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Now onto social media. So, um, 
it's quite a broad topic and I'm just curious to know what topics do you actually leverage? Because most of us here in Australia on Instagram, I know in other countries, Facebook is bigger or, or used in different ways. I don't know if you think there's any benefit in using Twitter. We don't really use that here in Australia, apart from you're in the media. Um, but I also know you've got your YouTube channel uh, and TikTok, which is kind of the, the the newer comer, even though it's not that new anymore. So what do you want and why, first of all? Right off the bat, I did it reverse. I jumped on YouTube before anything. I had a very, very minimal account for Instagram, but I knew that Instagram was saturated. Like, my God, like you can't find anything on Instagram. Just like literally with medical estheticians, good luck trying to kind of stand out there. That mm. was my opinion at the time. But again, there was limited, you know, there's there wasn't much on YouTube. And anytime you want to look for actual information about anything, if I want to look at how to make my, you know, run a stove or fix my bike or do anything, you can just Google it or YouTube it and you'll find it. But there was nothing on YouTube for medical aesthetics that I found was providing good content. And, uh, and I know that there was some, you know, controversy saying, well, there's a lot of people who are self injectors. Like, should we be posting mm -hmm. on that? It's like, listen, that's, that's them. They're humans. They're adults. If they want to do that, you know, I, you can't control it. People are going to do what they're going to do. In the end, I just knew that there was a market there for me and it was going to be smart for me to go on there and put myself on YouTube and utilize YouTube because it was so niche oriented. There's no one on it. Like mm. no one was doing this. So I just took advantage, full advantage of, of YouTube. And that's where I went initially. And I still feel that YouTube is a big market that a lot of people can utilize. And I tell every time I go to a conference and I'm talking, I tell everyone, in the, I don't care. You know, every single one of these people in the audience could have a YouTube channel and, you know, you'll all do well. Because if you're able to make it on Instagram, <laughs> you're going to make it on YouTube. Instagram is littered and YouTube is so minimal. Mm. There's almost no one on there. So I tell everyone, you know, you guys should, everyone should be on YouTube. And especially right now, now that they have the shorts, um, mm. that's where I'm actually going to start implementing, like taking my content that I feel that has blown up the most. So if I have the most views, I'll utilize, I'll make a short out of that. And you guys should probably do that with your inside aesthetics. Mm. I don't know if you guys have already done, done that, but make a short out of it, figure out what's your, the most viewed videos, make a short out of it. And that's searchable. And uh, it'll just utilize, revamp, already what you have going and you're in a, you're going to have more viewers. Um, TikTok is, I, TikTok kind of gave me that idea because when you go on TikTok, you see these people, you see like these young kids who just like repost things over and over and over again. I'm like, what the heck? Like they, that must take a lot of courage for people to just repost things over and over again. Like I would post things once and if it didn't work, I'm like, well, I'm not doing that again. They will redo it to the point where it becomes successful. And then if it's successful, they're going to like milk it. Yep. And I think that people should be doing that a little bit more. And in medical aesthetics, you still want to be professional about it. But whatever you've done well, milk it and, um, and, and repost it and recirculate it and maybe make another post about it. So TikTok is, is interesting. You can learn a lot from TikTok by just following what these kids are doing who are like literally 15 to 18 years old and are going viral, just go through what they're doing. And you'll see a lot of it is just the same thing over and over again, just kind of refabricated and tweaked a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm taking a lot from that. I also feel that in TikTok, um, you know, whenever I first got into TikTok, I wasn't sure if I was going to do any dances or anything like that because 
um, I wasn't sure how the community was going to to take it. Is this something professional? There was a lot of discussion about that. Um, you know, should doctors be dancing? I'm not a doctor, I'm a nurse practitioner, but you know, I'm in the medical field and uh, professional. And how would the College of Nurses see that? Um, but in the end, what I found was as long as you present yourself professionally in, in some platforms and then you have a fun platform, but you can do it where it's genuine to yourself, it'll work. Mm-hmm. So let's say if you if you don't dance, don't dance. Don't go start dancing on TikTok. It, it'll never work. Uh, because in social media, particular platforms of Instagram and TikTok, especially TikTok, if you're doing either a reel or um, a TikTok, it's all about feel. A lot of viral, a lot of videos will go viral, not on the sense of like, the information it's given if it's a feel like it has to feel genuine it has to like you you're looking at you're engaged right away you get something from it whether it's triggering you to feel something negative or something that you like it's a feel and you're going to re-watch it and all of a sudden it's going to go viral so i think that's a big key for tiktok if anyone wants to go on tiktok if they're getting into it you don't have to be perfect you just have to make sure you're you get a feel so whenever i make a tiktok I'm super particular. I'll make it and I'll watch it. If I don't have a smile or if I'm watching with my wife and she doesn't have emotion, she's like, yeah, that's good. I won't, I'm going to redo it. I'll do it to the point where I feel that I'm getting an emotion out of it. And that's when I know if I feel like, yeah, that's good. I get a smile out of that. I'm going to post it and it'll work for me. That's quite funny because I often show my wife things that I'm going to post on Instagram. She never says post it. She always <laughs> says no. <laughs> too controversial everyone's gonna hate you can't do it and i just do it anyway so <laughs> yeah I, I, it, my wife is my sniff test yeah for sure but 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 you're right it's it's a feel like i know i'm gonna trigger something but that's yeah. what the engagement is about sometimes you just don't want to be ignored no yeah. matter what yeah i think that you know as long as it's a if it's a trigger that it's going to cause some controversy or conflict but it's a you know a confrontation piece but you're doing professionally it's okay yeah it's it's not there just to poke fun at someone that there's a there's a debate which is sensible behind the joke i guess so it just stimulates conversation um i was gonna say for there'll be a lot of people who aren't on tiktok they'll be like ah that's for the kids and I, i don't get it what what is it like what 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 are you doing say on there that you wouldn't do i don't know on your youtube Okay, YouTube. So I have a YouTube platform where it's very professional. So that's where I'm going to give actual information. I use YouTube the way I would want to use YouTube. I want to look for information. I'm going to go to YouTube. So if I want to learn how to, like, I don't know, fix my bike, I like I was looking at how to re- put my tube on my tire. I didn't know how to. Do it. I mean, with that. So I will do that for medical aesthetics, and that was the first thing that I was searching for. Other advice on medical aesthetics. So I think of that always, and that's what I'm going to post on YouTube, and it's got to be very professional, concise. You don't have to have a feel. It's just post information that's short, concise, and detailed, and uh, you know, making sure that you know what you're posting. You're not just winging it. You have to make sure that you've done your research when you're posting that. Yeah. Instagram is very much, for me, something that I'm going to post uh, a lot of what's going on in my day, my before and after pictures. I make sure that I have open conversations with my my audience. Like I'm just having like a conversation with them about what's going on today. Uh, I'll do questions and answers live with them. Um, I'll also do Instagram lives, which are I think are big right now. Um, and and that's where Instagram happens. And then I'll take TikTok and I'll make a reel for TikTok and I'll use it. 
but I'll take that reel and I'll revamp it and I'll make it as a reel just for Instagram. So it's like a, a cool little platform. TikTok is, is I actually, it's so funny. I, I, I do, I, 10 times more work in Instagram and I have more <laughs> double of all of the viewers probably on TikTok. Mm. But TikTok is all about that feel, right? So um, the most engagement I have is me literally like looking at a camera, doing this and talk, pointing to a couple of things, but I'm looking at the camera and I'm engaged with them. So they see that and they have a feeling from like, oh, that's cool. It's like right on beat with the music. It's pointing, I'm learning something, everything's cool. I, I find right now in medical aesthetics, if you want to like blow up on TikTok, talk about skincare. That's yeah. that's your big one. If you're looking at like the Derm Doc, all these guys that just talk about skincare. And if you're trying, you know, medical aesthetics, a big part of it is skincare. We do focus a lot on everything else and skincare seems like it's a back burner. But if you're wanting to be taken seriously, you've got to talk about skincare and that's your platform. You can blow up big time on TikTok just by talking about skincare. It's a good point. Most, mm. most people are, well, not most people, a lot of people are looking for acne help, skin mm. improvement, glow, you know, all these kind of buzzwords. And they'll be looking for hashtags or keywords and yeah. Yeah, they're not necessarily looking for filler technique. It's almost the injectors who are looking for that stuff, whereas your consumer's looking for broader yeah. things. Well, there's, I mean, we're saturated with so many products, but not enough information. <laughs> Correct. No, you're totally yeah, right. And, and in the end, like people take you more seriously the more followers you have. It's real. It's a reality. If you have more followers, they see you as a key opinion leader or someone who's you know serious about this. And it look at the demographic for TikTok. And now it's everyone, but it's still mostly younger client, like the younger people. It's still like yeah. 15 to 25, I think the majority, but there's obviously everyone who's on it now, but still look at that young demographic. They're really into skincare. Mm. That's what they look at. That, that's what they can afford. And that's, you know, what they're, they want to do. So if you can just focus on that, you will have a ton of followers and you can have your focus, uh, you know, as a, in medical aesthetics of being on skincare, uh, guru and it's, it's going to work for you how do you feel uh the correlation between followers and actual business like are these people just following you because it's interesting but you know they live on the other side of the world or has it actually translated to people and bums on seats yeah you know it's really interesting that's a good question because initially whenever i first started doing this youtube channel the whole idea was not to be at, at first it was an, a plan to just get people in it was something searchable. I'm like, people are going to look for someone. They're going to search and they're going to see me on it. And then they're going to come see me. And then eventually I was like, okay, yes, I'm actually, now that I'm doing this regularly, I want to be the face for Canada. That was like a, a secondary goal. But initially the goal was to just to have clients come in. And then after a year, I realized, I think most of my followers are other injectors throughout the world. And I don't know if that's a good thing, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I'm, I'm going to run with it. And I'm still going to continue with it because I, I didn't know how this would benefit me, but I just knew that it was a good idea to keep going and something will come in the end, but stick to the plan. Uh, initially. Yeah. It, uh, it was a little slower than I was anticipated with actual clients coming in based on um, YouTube videos, but it definitely helped. Mm. And then after that, um, it, it, it was a big reason why people came to see me. And then integrating TikTok and Instagram, actually, the, one of the, the very first question I ask people is, how did you hear about us? Because I want to know. And then I'll take note. Is it YouTube? Is it Instagram? Is it TikTok? Is it 
whatever. And then the second question is, you know, tell me something you like about their face. Um, but initially it was YouTube and then it became Instagram. And now it's sometimes becoming TikTok, which I, I find astounding. I would never expect people to come see me from TikTok because most of it is just fun dances, maybe skincare stuff. But they're like, yeah. And they have no idea that I have any other social media platform. They're just like, yeah, I just see you on TikTok and I'm coming to see you. I'm like, wow, okay, cool. <laughs> I guess we're going to keep doing TikTok. There you go. Well, it's no silver bullet. You have to be everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Th- this is a slightly different topic, but currently now under the microscope is cosmetic surgery here in Australia. And one of the big focuses of the criticism is how playful and fun the social mm. media stuff was now of course there was a, there was a, a very serious addition to that which was bad work and an unsafe practice but it's kind of a double-edged sword you, you know you want to show what's going on in your clinic and you know who you are and your personality and I, I fully embrace all the kind of the tiktok kind of stuff i mean i don't do it myself but i think it's fun and good but someone could sort of very quickly distill that down and go, Look, this guy's not serious. Mm-hmm. He just dances around in his mm-hmm. clinic. And it's, it's hard to know mm-hmm. what, what, what the balance is, I guess, is what I'm getting yeah. at. I mean, you've got different platforms to do serious, half serious fun. So you've kind of thought that out. But I don't think many people do that. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think you're bang on it. With the, you, if you're going to focus on one platform be professional but if you have multiple platforms make sure that you have and you want to be playful on one be playful on one but make sure that people you have a, a source of professionalism and you you have a root and uh, and that's what i try and do i my root is youtube and then after that i connect with people through instagram and i have a little playful side that i want them to see yeah. my playful side and that's on uh tiktok yeah look at the end it's social media yeah. So it's hard to yeah. know, you know, we, we had a chat with Sebastian Cotafana about, you know, is it right to debate technique and, and science on Instagram? And I think we unanimously no, yeah. said no, but that's what we do. Yeah. We all get into these arguments yeah. and comments and people are fighting each other and <laughs> gets out of control. And, you know, th- there are certain people who do it particularly well. So I don't know. It's just where the people are, I guess. It's, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, I don't think we we quite got to the crux of the question of how do we inspire listeners or injectors to have the confidence to do a selfie video and say something. Like, you know, I don't even like doing it, to be completely honest, I do it occasionally, but you're doing it every day. I mean, even for, for our podcast recording, you did some stories and I thought, oh, that's awesome. And Dave and I are shit. We never do any of that. We just, I don't know, we, we don't do it, but but I guess people find us in other ways. But yeah, how, how, how would you get someone to get over that hurdle? Okay. So um, one thing that the reason why I do, I'm, I'm able to do it is because I actually, again, just like these sports professionals who have these insecurities and these fears, we all have them, even myself. But every time I have this self-doubt or I feel like, oh man, I should be posting, I'm posting right away. Because if I don't, I won't do it. I'm going to start telling myself, uh, maybe I'm not ready yet. Uh, you know, Maybe I should prep or uh, it's going to come out stupid or... I'm in my gym clothes or whatever, you know, there's going to be a million reasons. And by the time you actually feel like you're ready, something's going to happen. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you're going to be busy that day. So as any time that I have any self-doubt or I feel that, um, I have some hesitancy because I'm fearful of something, I drown out the fear immediately with 
time. And that means I just act on it now. Because if I don't act on it now, time is going to fuel that fear. And I'm never going to get it done. I'm just going to convince myself otherwise not to do it. So like today, uh, I was jogging and I was thinking about um, our podcast today. And I was like, should I be prepping for this thing? Should I be, you know, <laughs> should I wing this thing? And uh, in the end, I was like, man, I should actually plug something right now. And my dog stopped to like, take a pee and I'm like, I'm going to post right now. Otherwise I may not do it. And that's it's it. Signed. I just stopped and posted and I was really happy I did that because otherwise, like I said, I had a wedding I, I went to and I took some videos for what I'm going to post that afterwards. But uh, it's all these things that you know you should be doing. If you fear it or if you feel you have some hesitancy because of whatever reason, you just got to act on it right away. Mm. And whenever I'm doing it, it's, you know, half the time people think I'm just doing it in one take. No, I'm a perfectionist. I'm doing this like probably five, six takes. It sounds stupid, but it's true. I'll do it. I'll look at it. I'm like, that's stupid. I'm going to redo that. And I'll sit there and people walk by. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Do it again. And we all feel it. It's weird. It's awkward, but you need to do it. And this is something that's important. It's, it's marketing. And um, I tell everyone this, you can be the best injector in the world, but if no one knows who you are, you're going to struggle. So the more you put yourself out there, the more people are going to know who you are and the more confident and comfortable you are going to be on social media. Every time I do any type of post, whether it's a TikTok, whether it's a reel, whether it's a, you know, I go, uh, you know, do a podcast with you guys, or if I do a YouTube video, every single time I do it, I get nervous. But after I've done it, it's like, I've just handed in an essay. You know, I, I'm like, man, I'm so happy I did that. Like I've, I've grown as a person uh, and uh, it, it, I feel better about it. So. Mm yeah just do it can we quickly ask you about your patreon we've just started yes. a patreon but you know it, it seems to be a much more of a thing in north america if i'm completely honest american injectors are, are pretty big on it yourself H how do you use it and, and maybe explain what a patreon account is for for those listeners going what the fuck's a patreon <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a good question i didn't know about a patreon either until like maybe six months ago and uh so patreon is a platform where you can basically post anything like uh david what J jordan peterson you guys know yeah so mm -hmm. he's on patreon he just like basically was on and gives you tips on his view on psychology and uh and you can pay and basically it's a platform where people literally it's like a donation you can make a suggestion fee and they can go on and pay that fee it's a minimum fee if they want they can pay a little bit more but basically you're giving them uh education mm -hmm. and it's like a subscription and they can subscribe and you can pay monthly or you can pay annually um so my Patreon, uh, that, you know, it's a good segue to the question was whenever I found out I had other, most of my followers on YouTube were other injectors, what am I going to do with that? Well, um, I knew that I just had to stay the course. Something would happen one day. And then finally one of the questions or comments at the bottom was saying, you know, I love this. This is so helpful, but you always do it with a dummy, like a mannequin. I would love to see you do this on a real person. And of course I, I couldn't do it on a real person because these are actually clients of mine. And they don't want to be exposed to the rest of the world. So I thought, oh, wow, you know, that's how I'm going to do this. So if people really want detailed information, I could actually uh, have real, like uh, do injection in my office, tell a client that this is going to be something for a group of uh, physicians or nurses. I'll block out their eye if they really want to, but it's not going to be posted publicly throughout the world of social media. And it's going to be a helpful tool as an education tool. 
And uh, I do exactly what I do on my YouTube video, except it's more detailed. And I'll actually have my face here injecting or a close-up of their face, me injecting, and my face here talking about the details of the anatomy, safety, what I'm looking for in aesthetic result and overall outcome, um, and the product I'm using and how much. So it's it's really that's that's my Patreon. And I do focus on fillers, toxins, uh, microneedling, you know, whatever I'm into. Um, but uh, and that's that's Patreon in a nutshell. So I think that what helped me was whenever that that subject came up or the the person who ended up making that comment, I was like, okay, that's going to be my left hook, right? My jab, jab, jab was me giving free content on YouTube for the last two and a half years. The left hook is going to be, listen, if you guys feel that I've been helpful, if you guys want to help me out, join my Patreon. It's super affordable. And at the same time, you're going to get a lot out of it because it's going to, you know, it's more detailed information of what you guys are probably requesting. And uh, yeah, it's it's been great. No, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, there seems to be, I don't know how to put this nicely, more generosity for the North American injectors to want to be part of that. Yeah. Whereas it's a bit more of a slow burn here in Australia and other countries. People are like, "What? You want money to like for me to learn? It's it's weird." <laughs> but you know, yeah. I don't I don't know how to sort of communicate that better. But they don't want to pay. <laughs> <laughs> but you agree, right? You do. Like these, You've seen it. <laughs> Australians are tight asses. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I, I think what you guys are doing is is great, and uh, eventually it'll come. Like I saw that you guys have a Patreon account, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, and people are going to subscribe because what you're posting is, is valuable. Uh, and um, in the end, for for me, again, it's just going above and beyond, right? So and putting yourself out there consistently. So you guys are doing that and you just have to be patient and people will come for sure. We've only been doing it in, 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 in fairness, we've only been doing it really for like what, a month, six weeks. Yeah. yeah no, no, yeah. I, I was, sort oh, of, I was man, no, yeah. no, I was, I was half joking, <laughs> but forget that. I, I'm talking about proper courses, like, um, you know, injectable courses. Yeah. People don't want to pay. Uh, they, they just don't like you. No, I don't <laughs> mean for me. I mean, people like, you, you know, big conferences, they're like, uh, don't know, it's a couple of thousand dollars. I'm not going to do it. And yeah. you're like, well, how are you ever going to learn if you don't want to invest in yourself at the end of the day? Yeah, I, I, so I didn't mean the podcast. I meant like exactly courses it. and stuff. No. Oh, yeah, no, these courses, are they're, they're crazy expensive. But at the same time, that's it. People are trying to take the, the, the shortcut route in mm. order to, to, become, to make it in medical aesthetics. But this is why the market is saturated, but there's only a select few that do well. Yeah, right? yeah, it's that's a true. select few that are willing to go and spend the money and really invest on themselves and understand that they're not afraid of the money that they're spending on the course right now. Like whatever thousands of dollars that I'm spending now, I don't care about it. It's, it stresses my wife out like crazy, but at the same <laughs> time, I just let her know, like, in have faith. Like in the future, this is definitely going to pan out. And people are all about the money now. And that goes to it's also, true. again, injecting in your clinic. Everything. You guys are trying to yeah. overpay right now, trying to like squeeze dollars out right now. Don't do it. Think of the long term and, you know, just in, invest in yourself for sure. No. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely, you're, you're hitting the nail on that. They're and it's like, tax deductible. Anyone who's in medical, anyone who's in medical aesthetics, any nurses out there, invest 
in yourself. Invest in really spending the money on taking quality courses and finding someone who resonates like resonates with you. And uh, and take notes. <laughs> take <laughs> notes, man. Don't just go to these cources and just leave. It's a waste of money. Yeah, it's such a good point. Now we've kept you for an hour and a half, but we always uh, end our injector diaries with ah, a yes, certain quick fire questions. Quick fire questions. I, I can't believe we haven't even spoken about product or technique yet, but this will sort of um, be part of that. Mm. What's your number one toxin and why? It's it's. I'm not sure if it's between Nusiva and uh, Discord. And the reason Nusiva here, do you guys have Nusiva? No, it, it's it's one that we're going to cover in our in our future episode, the Tox Talks. But tell us about it. So Nusiva is Juvon in the States, and it's basically the same molecular weight as Botox. It is the exact same thing as Botox brand. It's just designed for medical aesthetics only. And as a result, it doesn't cost as much. Uh, Botox uh, brand is still the most expensive. And as a result... Um, patients or clients feel that it's superior where it's, you know, it, in my opinion, um, it's new Siva is just as good. It works just as well. It does the exact same thing. Um, but because it's so much more expensive, sometimes clinicians will have to increase the price and then clients will have this like subjective view of like, mm. and this is going to be a better product because it's so much more expensive. And then they actually truly believe it. No, it's, it's the exact same thing. In my opinion, Nuceva and Botox work the exact same way. It does the exact same thing. It's a great product. Mm-hmm. This sport, this sport, which is what I find really cool about it, is that. Um, so I I mix my uh, toxin a little differently. I place um, one mil for a hundred units, so mm-hmm. it's one to one. Yeah. Um, and uh, with this sport, in a three hundred unit vial. Uh, I place 1.2 mils mm. of saline mm. and that gives me the exact same action as Botox or Nuceva or anything else. And the reason why is because it comes up to 2.4 or 2.4, 2.5 or something like that um, units strength, right? And that's basically the, the equivalence with regards to the strength of uh, compared to Botox, right? Per unit. Yep. You understand what I'm saying there? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And uh, so you get a little bit more out of it. And, um, but whenever I have a client who, let's say if it's uh, a guy and he has really strong muscles, I'll just do the one and it's strong, it's stiffer. It actually works, um, the strongest compared to all the toxins. So for bang for buck, you actually, uh, for here, I'm not sure how much it costs you guys, but for, if you're buying like, I don't know, 200 vials or hundred vials, I think it comes up to like 240 bucks or something like that here per vial. And if you're, I don't know, let's say you're charging an average of $10 a unit, you're getting an extra 20 units. It's like $200. It costs you $45 a vial, basically, in the end. Okay. So it's, uh, that, that is super impressive here. And that's why a lot of people love this port here. Um, and it works great. It, it's consistent. It works great. So, um, and if I was going to do actually, you know, one-on-one, the this port is the strongest, in my opinion which is actually a bonus. Um, so okay. this board is, is, a, is a great product uh, and super affordable. And Nuceva, in my opinion, is uh, the equivalent to, to Botox. Uh, Zeumann. Zeumann is the other one. I think you guys yep. Yeah, we have Zeumann. Um, we have Zeumann. Um, Zeumann, in my opinion, is it's funny because they're always marketing it as like the light, you know, it's very natural. It's, it's, uh, it's, for me, it's definitely the weakest out of all of them. Mm. It works well, but it's weaker than uh, all the products. 
I find it's about uh, 80 to 90% the strength of, mm. yeah. um, you know, anything else that we're using. And it's fine. So I use that. It's a smart molecule, right? So they got rid of the protein. You can use it for anyone at any time. It's great for people who are getting, you know, migraines. They get, you know, they're getting, they're going to see their neurologist for their migraines. They're coming in between and, you know, they've got a month apart. I can go ahead and use zoom in whenever I want. Or if it's someone who's brand new and they're looking for something very light and they're, you know, hesitant in using it, I'll go ahead and use zoom in for them. Um, but it's, it's tough to, use zoom in on someone who's been using any other brand consistently because i'll need to use more and the cost of the product is pretty much as expensive as anything else so yeah good well, answer that's a good summary uh what is your number one filler and why if you only had one to use like one product left on your shelf which one would it be and it can be like a, oh, a specific that's, product within a range too. yeah yeah not just brand but a specific product well that's a tough one so um the brand right now that I really like is Prolinium's Revan S. Um, and the reason why I like it here in Canada, it's so weird. We have like Health Canada is, is very strict with the regulations with everything with the Canadian Food and Drug Act. But when it comes down to filler, like we have so many options. It's amazing. <laughs> and we're allowed to do weird things with it. Like we can take it and blend it with saline. We can put in BD syringes where I know a lot of places in the world that can't do that. So because of that, Prolinium is amazing in the sense that it's a Canadian brand for us. So because we have the strict guidelines, A, Prolinium is great that we have a great product. They have a wide range. And because it's Canadian, it's incredibly affordable. Mm. So that is that combination. Like they have something that, you know, is very thick all the way to pretty thin. There's The only thing they're missing is something that's for a tear trough, which is unfortunate, but they have everything else. And it's extremely affordable. Not only is it, the most affordable by, you know, significant, like probably $80 per syringe less than anything else wow. on the market. Uh, yeah. And on top of that, uh, they give you more in the syringe. It's 1.2 mils compared to one. So it's really tough to justify going for anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other products are amazing. I love uh, Stillage for the consistency. And uh, Stillage still, like when it comes to XXL, and M are like amazing XXL. I find the Stillage brand, in my opinion, for filler lasts the longest. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it's, <laughs> you know, I've done jaw lines and I've had people come back after a year and a half and I've never had, I'm like, you're still good. Like I still see it there, which is amazing. Lips, I've done my wife's lips with a combination of Stillage S and M. And I've done them a year and a half ago and I still will not touch them. And she didn't have an upper lip. She has beautiful lips right now. People compliment them all the time. And I still don't need to touch them. So it lasts a long time uh, and it's consistent. So I love this Stillage brand as well. Uh, And then the other one is the TXN. So TXN, which is um, TCL. TCL brand is is very good. They have a great range. it's, it's, uh, but again, you know, for some reason, a lot of these brands are starting to really jack up their prices and they don't need to, um, you know, everyone claims to have the best product because they've added like vitamins or whatever to it. It's like acid gel. If it's consistent, it's supposed to be exactly what I want it to do. You can add whatever you want to it. I don't care. I just want to make sure it's going to do what I want it to do. And it's consistent. 
And TSL has a great product. I just find it's a little bit pricey. I feel like we've no given reason. Dan a free pass here. He's supposed to give us one answer. <laughs> and he's told us about the whole range and rheology <laughs> and yeah, toxin. <laughs> Sorry, man. That's all good. No, it's all it. good. And to be fair, that, that is the link of why you're coming to Australia. You're going to be sh- talking about yes. stylage, I believe. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Fantastic. Yeah, because we don't have... And we're going to be... Well, yeah, we don't have Prelenium here. No, that, that's the brand that I was mentioning. Sounds, like the, David, next, sounds like the next Alien movie, Prelenium. Prelenium. Yeah, yeah, maybe. They came out. They came out with that not too long ago here, and it's uh, it's been doing well. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. Um, what's your favorite cannula size and make, and why? Uh, the cannula. I love the TSK cannula. Yeah, it's uh, it's basically. Uh, it depends on where I'm using it. So if I'm going to do the the lip, I uh, I do one answer, Dan. <laughs> You're stuck on a okay, desert island so with the cannulas. Twenty twenty five gauge uh, cannula, thirty eight millimeter. That's okay. the most widely used. I can do a lot with that. Perfect. There you go. Oh, here's a good one: to aspirate or not to aspirate. That is the question. And what do you, we, talk, we should actually add oscillate on there too. But anyway, we'll go for aspirate for now. It, it can just be yes or no. We don't need the, the theory. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that as an answer. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally, it's, it's sure. Um, yeah, let's say yes. Okay, okay. good to know. Um, do you have any cool little, I don't know, tools or tricks or little devices like paraphernalia around your clinic that make your injecting easier, pain better, um, the experience of the patient more fun. I don't know. We, we've had people using the vibrating tools. That comes up a lot. But anything else that you might use in your clinic? I use the vibration tool. I have a squeeze ball. I also, it's the way that you inject as well. So for me, you know, there's a lot of flicking, squeezing the muscle, putting pushing the the, the skin into the needle bevel up all at the same time. All these things do matter and they add up. Um, if you're just going in and jabbing people, um, you're really going to, you know, they're not going to love you too, too much. And I think as newer injectors start, for some reason, they just are super aggressive. Like, don't be mm. so aggressive. Like, be gentle. Yeah. And uh, I, I find being gentle really helps not only with the actual result, less inflammation, and you're likely going to have less side effects from it. So I'm, I'm, a very slow and cautious injector. I think yep. Arthur Swift's one of the most, uh, uh, that, that sort of pushing the skin onto the needle, that's his thing, isn't it? Um, it's almost like a magic trick. It's yeah. just sort of like, Slight wait, hand. and we're in. Yeah. And the patient doesn't even know it's happened. Yeah, uh, yeah it's very I've, Arthur. Uh, I got that from actually when I used to do vaccines. So ah. someone did a vaccine for me once and they were squeezing my muscle and... They, they kind of push it. I didn't feel any. I'm like, what the heck are you done? He's like, yeah. I was like, what did you do? And he showed me. I'm like, okay, I'm going to use that next time. So that's how I got it. Oh, okay. Biggest mistake that you've made and what did you learn from it? So it could be like business, could be like a complication, Maybe. whatever, missed opportunity. And I think it was probably business. So, so when I came, uh, so social media, actually, whenever I first started on YouTube, I, I didn't. I just wanted to be known, so I, I tried to create like almost like this fake persona, and I wanted to be very casual. I'm like, this is going to be very casual. Thing. I'm going to have like beer. I'm going to be drinking beer and talking about medical status, <laughs> and it's going to be chill, and it's going to be awesome. And I would like talk about. It. I'd have a little dance, and maybe I'd even take up my guitar. Yeah. And it was just like always. I, it was an act almost, and uh, every week it would build more anxiety because I'd have to top it up. And actually at the beginning, (laughs) 
you, you put so much effort into it and you get like two views, like no one yeah. even looks at it. You're like, Oh my God, like, I guess I better amp it up even more. And you always <laughs> feel like you have to amp it up and put on this fake persona. And then later on, uh, I was talking to a colleague of mine, like, you may want to talk to a lawyer about that. <laughs> I talked to a lawyer. He's like, yeah, you got to take down all those videos. Yeah. <laughs> he can't be drinking and talking about medical stuff. I'm like, it's I'm like, not injecting anyone. It doesn't matter. You're still talking about the profession. Anyone can make a complaint to the college. You, you respect, you, you're representing the college body. So I was like, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I took that down. But once I changed that, I realized, okay, I don't have to put on this fake persona. Just be yourself. And, um, especially in your professional segment, right? We were talking about that YouTube is very professional for me. And uh, I got that idea from Dr. Who's it? Gray, you know, the Durham. So Greg Dr. Goodman? Gray, she's uh, oh. got like... No, I don't know Dr. So Gray. Dr. Gray, she's... Oh, he's a Dr. Greg. Sorry. So she... Uh, she's like a dermatologist. She's like 1.68 million viewers or something, mm. subscribers. And, um, and she's just in her bedroom, no makeup, and she's talking blankly about stuff. And it's you know, definitely not entertaining, but she's giving you information and people love it. So I was like, okay, I just have to be myself, concise, accurate, be yourself, be professional. And that's all you need to do. And it took off a lot of stress and that was the best thing for me. So initially that was my biggest mistake, trying to be a, someone fake. And tr because once you start making this fake persona, up, you have to keep it up mm. and uh, it caused a lot of stress. So yeah. Stop that. Please tell me you've got one of those videos. Can you share it with us privately? I'd <laughs> oh, love to see. <laughs> I probably do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we can have some fun on WhatsApp later. Um, yeah. Last question. I think I you've already answered answer. this. Yeah. Um, what's been the best or most influential uh, aesthetic course that you've been on? Um, uh, or, or maybe even what your favorite book, if, if you don't want to mention a course? No, the, I think MCAS. So when I go to yep. MCAS, so when I went, I was going, you know, as a sponge, I went to, you know, took all these, I was writing everything down, but what I got from it was much more than that. So I was going in and I kind of felt, you know, like whenever I went to those courses for, um, uh, for infectious disease, I was like this lowly nurse practitioner with all these subspecialty and gastroenterologists, and hepatologists, like who the heck is this guy? And I felt that way kind of going into this MCAS, but I didn't care. I was like, you know, I'm going in because I have an agenda for myself. I didn't really care. I was going to go and do my thing. What I got from it was, oh my gosh, like, oh, we have all these top plastic surgeons in the world who are literally dropping or minimizing the amount of surgery they're doing for mm -hmm. injectables. And these guys are killing it. And I'm literally do, I could be doing the exact same thing. And mm -hmm. that was such inspiration to me. And also, whenever I was going to these courses um, and I would see these live demos, which is actually going to help me whenever I do these live demos, uh, you know, I, I was expecting miracles. And I'm like, meh, that's okay. And <laughs> I'm like, that's ah, okay. I'm like, it's supposed to be amazing. I'm like, I've seen better. Um, but in the end, it's, you know, it's a live person. You know, anything can happen. And it's you, you've got your limitations. And what you post on social media is going to be your best, right? So... And I think that's a, another thing that a lot of people need to take from. Like anything we post on, so anything I post on social media is all of my best things. So, you know, there are definitely going to be days or, or um, you know, options or clients that I do. And I'm like, meh, these are okay results. I'm definitely not going to post that. But the top stuff is really what's going to go on social media. So it gives you confidence to go up and say, man, these guys are the best in the world. I can do that. So it gave me confidence. 
And at the same time, it really inspired me to say, I really, I can take this to another level and I can really make a full, amazing career out of this if I really wanted to. So I get, I had so much inspiration. I highly recommend everyone going to MCAS for that. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a great place to leave the podcast. We've, we've taken up nearly two hours of your time. You've been very generous. So thank you for coming on. I know you hadn't heard of us before we reached out, but hopefully you'll listen to a few episodes now and, and, and become yeah. part of our growing community of IA listeners around the globe. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. I really appreciate it. I know we threw this together quite quickly, but you've been, you've been great, shared so much information and uh, I look forward to seeing you in Brisbane. When are you landing? When are you here? So we're taking off on the 4th. We're there for two weeks. Uh, I think we start in Sydney first. Uh, and then after that, I think we're going to be in Brisbane maybe around the 9th or something like that. Brilliant. So I don't Perfect. have my agenda in front of me. My wife kind of takes care of all that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so somewhere in between there, in the middle, that's when I'll be in Brisbane. And yeah, I'm very much looking forward to this. Uh, and since we've chatted, I've, I've definitely listened to a few of your podcasts and they're amazing. And uh, I'm happy to spread the word for you guys. Thank you. This is a very unique thing that you guys have going on. If I had more time, I would love to do a podcast, but you guys are killing it. And, uh, <laughs> you guys are doing an amazing job, so I'll leave that to you guys. Thanks, Dan. Oh, thank but you, buddy. for having me. Well, thank I look you forward to seeing you in Brisbane. I'll buy you a beer and we'll have a catch-up. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. This is amazing. Thank you. Thank Take you, buddy. See you later. For our latest news, upcoming guests, and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 